Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and you're with RNZ's Insight Programme. This edition, The Earthquake. The first RNZ reporters and visual journalists were in Kaikoura 12 hours after the quake hit the small coastal village and surrounding area in the early hours of Monday morning. In the next few days, part of the struggle to recover was restoring communications and the reporters' work was constrained. In this insight, you'll hear the stories and experiences of locals and visitors that couldn't be heard from this region as the aftershocks, slips and evacuations continued. Vicky Mackay was reading the news bulletin on RNZ National when the earthquake struck at two minutes past midnight on Monday. And yes, Wellington, we are undergoing a fairly dense um, earthquake at the moment. So please just get to somewhere where you are safely under some protection because this is long and rolling and it has been going and getting worse. I can honestly say I doubt that I'll be able to stay in the chair for much longer. The 7.8 quake was the second equal largest recorded to have hit New Zealand, behind the 8.2 Wairarapa quake in the sparsely populated 19th century. It was the same magnitude as the Napier quake of 1931 that killed 256 people across Hawke's Bay. The toll from Monday's quake was two dead and more than 20 injuries. I'm Phil Pennington. And I'm Tim Graham. And along with RNZ's visual journalist, Rebecca Parsons-King, we flew into Kaikoura on a chartered helicopter from Kapiti on Monday morning. Again and again, as we talked to people in Kaikoura and on surrounding farms, they expressed relief and a little amazement at the low toll, given the epic extent of the property damage, especially to roads and rail. We saw it for ourselves as we flew in. We're in the air and from up here the scale of the damage is very dramatic. Fallen trees, huge slips covering chunks of State Highway 1, the coastal road north of Kaikoura around Hapuku, and some of those slips have actually pushed the railway line out to the sea as they've gone, and that is clearly going to take months and months to fix. What is less evident is the damage that this earthquake has inflicted on houses in Kaikoura and the surrounding areas. The aftershocks were continuing thick and fast, including this shuddering one on Monday afternoon, just after our chopper had landed at Mount Lyford, inland between Kaikoura and Hanma Springs, where lodge owner Jenny Yeoman was cleaning up. Apparently we can't go very far up that road, and apparently we can't get down further than Waiau. So yes, we are. We're stranded in a way. Yeah. We've seen down this way, it might be 10, it might be 20 k's, yeah, the road being taken out, well, actually really? multiple places, yeah, really? with some very big slips yeah. with it. You're lucky I didn't swear. Has that been going on a lot? All day, since 12 o'clock last night. It's How? absolutely relentless. That felt large and there was a big bang and everything yep. shook. Is that is yep. that the, the worst one, of them? Or? No, that was the one before was worse, but this is pretty much how it's going. We had landed in a lay-by 300 metres from Mount Lyford Lodge, which is normally a 55-minute drive from Kaikoura and 20 minutes from Waiau Township. Not this week, though. The lodge and nearby Mount Lyford Village were entirely cut off. We walked down the middle of State Highway 70 with zero danger of being run over. The two-storey lodge of wood cabin construction stood solid, reassuringly so for the 30 or so people of hard-hit Mount Lyford Village, who in the early hours had come down, lighting a campfire for comfort. One woman had died in the township, reportedly of a medical condition as she ran from her home. 
they were like the thousands and thousands of others down the South Island's east coast as far as Dunedin and across the bottom of the North Island who were shaken from sleep. Noel Collingwood told me how he and his wife Denise feared in their Kaikoura home. Uh, well, I was in bed, my wife was just coming to bed and, and then everything started crashing around so we, um, we waited till it stopped and then we had to try and get out the house couldn't uh, went to the pantry to try and get the keys and, and what, what supplies we had in there but everything was scattered all over the floor I cut my feet on the glass so we gave that a miss went out in the garage with the car keys couldn't get in the garage so we had to scarper up the hill and I was only in my boxes and, and, and a t-shirt and uh, it was dark couldn't see where we were going up the hill and what have you got on your feet? Uh, nothing bare feet and what about your wife? Oh, she had she had bare feet, but she she was half closed, so it wasn't wasn't too bad. But we got up the top of the hill all right, but had to get out quick. Come a cropper on the way up? She did. She she cracked two ribs um, on the dresser. The dresser drawers fell out and hit her in the in the chest, and then then she slipped on on where the subsidence was on the on the track on the way up, and did more damage. So, so that would have been really painful. But tis for her. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's getting over it now, so it's quite good. How long were you up there? We, we left at 7 o'clock the next morning. From midnight till 7? Yeah, we're, we're up there. And then... And then, uh, in, your went, bo- in your boxes and your PJs with broken ribs? Uh, well, I was, yeah. For seven hours? Yeah, yeah. That couldn't yeah. have been fun. Uh, it wasn't fun for her, no. Has <laughs> she going to be happy hearing you say that and laughing, no? Uh, well, maybe, but uh, no, she's, she's, quite, she's quite happy. There's plenty worse off than us. The extent of the shake was way beyond what many had ever felt before in their lifetime. Certainly that was the case for Claudine Barnes's 13-year-old daughter. She was too terrified to enter the family home, so they'd pitched a tent at the lodge. My daughter is very stressed, um, and that's really um, why we are here. We've been up since the earthquake hit, and uh, at the moment, stress levels are too high for her to do anything else anymore. That's why I wanted you here. (laughs) What are you actually doing down here this afternoon? We will try and have a sleep here. Both me and my husband are quite level-headed and can handle that, but um, she is um, struggling with that. You know, she's quite a bit younger. We walked back up State Highway 70 to the helicopter. Just beyond it, the road consisted of 200 metres of tortured bitumen, slumped and torn into thigh-deep gashes. A cloud of dust was rising near the base of the seaward Kaikoura range. A slip was cascading hundreds of metres down the rugged ridge into a creek. Just shy of the aerodrome south of Kaikoura, we flew above the flattened masonry of the Elms homestead. 74-year-old Louis Edgar was killed there. His 100-year-old mother, Margaret, was trapped. Dr Chris Henry, who'd also assisted in the Christchurch quakes, told RNZ about the rescue. She was actually incredibly calm. and I mean, she must have been trapped, so it took quite a while to get into her. So she must have been there for an hour or two, and she was sort of pinned under a sort of semi-collapsed door frame. But she was, she was amazingly, um, you know, amazingly calm about it. And in fact, when we were carrying her out, she warned me to be careful not to cut myself, which I thought was very <laughs> endearing. <laughs> there was so much broken glass around. You know, I think it was a pretty overwhelming experience for, for, you know, and I think everybody in that situation. But she, was, she did well. We landed at the deserted airfield three kilometres south of Kaikoura. The plate glass window of the empty whale watch office was smashed. A ute pulled up and logging contractor Bob Dronfield got out, expecting a helicopter to take him home to Amberley. Even so, he readily agreed to take us into town, telling us his story of the midnight quake as he drove. 
jumped out the window of the house because I couldn't get the door open and the, the noise of the sea just ro- it was roaring. Got me a and drove to the top of the hill. <laughs> Pronto. Right, where's the hill from here? Right here, just behind the race course here. So it's just straight up and then see the road signs way up in the distance? Yeah, yeah. All just turned right there and reds. That whole street along there, right along the... It was full. Basically, I think every person in Kaikoura was up there. Next thing, Bob Dronfield had offered us his ute to get around. It's only much later we learned that all his heavy logging machinery is trapped in the forestry block near Kaikoura and the roads mightn't be fixed for months. Driving up State Highway 1 to Kaikoura's main park, next to the hospital, in parts the road is down to one lane to avoid deep cracks. Around the park's perimeter, more than 100 cars and camper vans are parked, like a circling of the wagons. In one corner, a family is pushing their children on the swings in brilliant sunshine. Outside the hospital, day and night, people stood with their cell phones trying, and often failing, to access the free Wi-Fi to contact friends, family, social media and news websites. Among them are two Māori wardens in high-vis jackets. Ari Boyd is one of them, and she describes the night just passed. It was terrible, absolute terrible. Like I just screamed. And, and then my husband went to the toilet and I thought he collapsed. And I screamed out for my son to come and help me pick him up. And then I, like, froze. And my boy's like, we've got to get out, Mum. I couldn't move. Then I heard a car come out and I just ran. Just absolutely petrified. Any damage? Um... Um, went home this morning and... You know, it's a mess, but hey, you know, you can replace the TV, replace things. Lives you can't, so I just closed the door, walked out. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, I've had no sleep all night, but just want to get here and do this job, just to help help people. And you are? Nancy Reeves. I'm doing the same volunteering, okay. Mary Wardens. What happened last night, Nancy? Um, it just started shaking and I laid there in my bed and thought, oh, it'll stop soon, but it didn't. It just got worse and worse and I, when I got up, everything was just smashed and I heard everything falling in the house. So I got in the truck and drove to my son's for my granddaughter and then we ended up on the top of the hill. Have you been back today? Yep. My house is the best, so it's screwed. But we're all about. A red chopper lands on the park next to the media satellite dishes. Two people emerge. They hug two others. There are tears. On our way to the Takahanga Marae just behind the hospital, we see a large spray-painted sign. We're OK, it says. Mark Solomon, the cousin of his namesake, the Naitahu leader, is at the Marae. He and his son, Eddie, take us to their now deserted house four kilometres out of town. They have no power, no water, no sewerage. No home anymore, where just a day before, 16 family members across three generations were living. The power went off. About two seconds later, it threw me across the floor and I hit the pot plant over here. So that's, that's a distance of three, possibly th- more than three metres? Yeah. You managed to get up and then get out, did you? No. My son came in and got me. They were all outside and he screamed out to me, looking for me. What was that like for you, Eddie, with your dad in here while you were out there? Oh, I wasn't going nowhere without my dad. Yeah, had to get him. Yeah, I ran back inside. Everything was knocked over on the floor. Yeah, carried him up. Outside, a metre-wide, half-metre-deep trench has opened in the driveway. A concrete block wall shows signs of bulging and the foundation has shifted down in here, which I can put my hand in between where 
the foundation was. So you've got movement uh, south north of of the. Who knows? I don't know if it's the the, the land I get or the house, entire house has moved by three times the depth of my fingers. And on this side, we're talking about what's that? At least 100, 120 millimetres perhaps it's shifted from east to west. Crikey. Mm. Well, what we're going through into now is the, 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 the adjoining shared lounge of the house. And this is the, the, the juncture between the two wings. And this has stayed um, up while the other two wings have sunk. So we've got a lot of, bro lot of broken glass. Come and look down here. Oh, yep. yep. So just out here in the... Just, just quickly, mate. So, looking at this, I mean, this would be sort of the central hub of your house where you would have been like big family times. Um, yeah. Is that is this the end of that for your family then, or what? Oh uh, no, I think the physical scars remain, but there's a, there's a strength and a test in the family unit when you come under these devastating conditions, and it makes you stronger. And you realise the things that you thought you loved aren't as important as the family you have, and that's where your love really exists. So you love this house, but it's a love of a different degree. We all loved our house because it enabled us to live together, but we love each other more. For Mark and many others, the quake has pared things down to a bare imperative, to be close to those you love. Kevin Keehan makes a 15-hour trek starting at 2am on Monday by digger, land cruiser and the RNZ chopper over backcountry roads and through riverbeds to get from Makarora at the head of Lake Wanaka to his wife, daughter and father in Kaikoura. I see him the next day after he's been at the home of his 94-year-old blind father. Still standing, Mark. Standing in the middle of Rome, he reckons. It's like Hiroshima after the bomb. One chimney. Yeah, no, it's just a phenomenal to what it could have been. And they'd be pleased to see you, eh? Yep. Yeah, I think everybody was pleased to see everybody, really. Even the cat was pleased to see me. Back at the Marae, Deputy Chair Major Timms and his son Jason Timms and a big crew were feeding seven or 800 people three meals a day, sometimes with bread and butter, but often with much more. 1.5 tonne of crayfish... They um in the holding tanks and they got it rid of, so they come up and donate it to all of us. They couldn't get rid of it because they normally would truck it out and yeah, they couldn't truck it out. Um, normally they'd be um be get dispersed out to all the restaurants around in town because I'm a chef um, at Delphi Restaurant and I just cooked up a hundred kilos yesterday, two days ago, and now I've got to do it, do it some more. <laughs> but they the boys, the guys who give it to us, they can't get it out to anyone, so. Instead of chucking them, they donated them. Jim Atkinson of Brisbane was among the many, many tourists impressed with the Marae's extraordinary hospitality. Oh, the feed last night was tremendous. This bloke put on 300 k's of crayfish and uh, we really all enjoyed it. I thought we'd get bread and butter and maybe a bit of Vegemite and peanut paste. There was no food to be bought in Kaikoura on Monday night and no pubs open either. In the end, we gratefully ate some leftover bread, chicken and ham at the marae. Tuesday brought bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic at the petrol station and lines of more than 200 snaking outside the supermarket. 
Half a dozen customers were let in at a time, a two-loaf ration of bread was imposed, and volunteers happily passed products to customers through warped shelves. Resupply hopes grew with word an army convoy would attempt the inland State Highway 70 road, but then Thursday's heavy rain set that back. With State Highway 1 blocked by multiple massive slips north and south, and the rail line actually torn off and lying on the seaside rocks, it's choppers that will be crucial for some time to come. Those choppers led the evacuation first from a new subdivision on a hill above the town. The Chinese government paid for all its nationals to be lifted out, a task largely complete by Tuesday night. Honeymooner Zhao Lei Chen was among them. I'm going to take the helicopter because our Chinese consulate come to take us to Christchurch. Okay. How is it going to work? How many people go at one time? How do you how do you leave? Yeah, and they have two helicopters. Um, one helicopter can take six people at one time, and the other helicopter can take four people uh, at one time. Okay. Are you? Excited to leave? Yeah, because we are going honeymoon now. And there's no third day we come to New Zealand and an earthquake came. So we have to go on our travel. And uh, if we go to the Christchurch, we can go other places too. Uh, You've just yeah. been here three days? Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. This is quite crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my friends said, this is amazing. <laughs> Honeymoon. <laughs> Good story. Uh, I felt a little frightened. <laughs> the irony is lost on no one of a tourist town that needed the tourists to leave. To ease pressure, especially on water supplies and portaloos, the mayor, Winston Gray, stood watching the Chinese tourists and their dollars fly away from his town. Yeah, it's key that we get the, move them on. Not that we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose them, but it's key for their, because it's the most, this, there'll be some frustration because they'll have onward bookings. We've got a situation where they've arranged that one of the schools down there, the primary school, people will be able to leave their rental vehicles there. We would hold the keys here and deal with that later because this, that's an issue. The hilltop charted exodus contrasted starkly on Tuesday with the initial attempts to get people onto army choppers. Several hundred tourists register their names late on Monday. Again, as they mill around tables outside the marae early on Tuesday, their names are taken and they're told the priority order. Medical conditions, families with children, old people. It's calm, but there is some frustration. Silva Casanellis from Belgium was on his honeymoon, but had resigned himself to missing his connecting flight. Even at this moment, I don't feel that somebody's really in charge, really making a list of priorities. So I don't feel there's an organization. And if it's in a third world country, I can expect that. But this is New Zealand. Where's the military? Where are the people in charge? I'm really disappointed about that one. Dutch tourist Brom Maas was preparing to sleep a third night in his car. Turned from a tourist into a refugee, but that's also... For me, um, there's also the other uh, side of the corner. You meet people in different ways. And I must say, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about the uh, volunteers and, 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 and also the people from the Red Cross who are yeah, making a great uh, work of, of, of comforting people. What do you think about the overall sort of organisation of the disaster response here? That's a good question. On the lower scale, the organisation is very good. Uh, the people who are working are very friendly, uh, the volunteers. But on a higher scale, I heard also some other people uh, complaining a little bit. What I think is the um, organization 
could set from the, from, right from start better priorities. A local man, Damer Farrell, stood with a young boy as the first group was organised to fly out on an Air Force chopper. This is Tahi. He has a, he has a really bad heart condition which required lots of medication, but we'll sort it out. Dairy farmer Hamish Bruce's wife, Julia, who'd never been on a chopper before, had little choice but to evacuate. The wife was heavily pregnant, so she got choppered out the day after. When is she due? Uh, in three days, so yeah. OK, is this your first child, by the way? No, we had a one-and-a-half-year-old who the cock got broken in half with her and still in it, so... Oh. So, but she's down in Christchurch now and they're all good, so that's the main thing. Two women in the town told us they were desperately short of nappies and we learned later that a Marlborough Civil Defence helicopter made a nappy run to a remote farm in the Puhi Valley whose access road now looks like a goat track. By midday Tuesday, more than 40 tourists had been flown out by a relay of NH90s from the town's rugby field. Megan Moffat of Wellington, her wife Rebecca Cathro and their two-year-old daughter were among them. They got to the front of the queue due to an impending birth. Um, it's been it's been pretty good. Everyone's working hard. Um, being eight and a half months pregnant gets you to the top of the line quite quickly. <laughs> Nobody wants me to have the baby here. And you'll be hoping you don't have the baby on the chopper. Yes, that would be uh, preferable. <laughs> How did you come to find yourself in Kaikoura in a quake, eight and a half months pregnant? Um, we've came for a family wedding, and um, we were. Hoping it would be a simple trip. <laughs> the next leg in the evacuation is by sea, when the Navy ship Canterbury arrives on Wednesday in South Bay, preceded by a survey ship, which finds the seabed has risen by at least half a metre. The impact of that is immediate. A crew member on the whale watch boats tells me they were ready to go at 7.30am. But three hours later the tide is too low, and by full low tide the four big catamarans sit on the bottom. So, four Navy inflatables tie up to begin ferrying the tourists across. OK, so to inflate, everyone listen up, to inflate the life jacket, all you need to do is need to pull them out and the life jacket will inflate. OK, so, uh, that's an, um, so you'll be told to inflate them. If you go into the water, the life jacket will inflate automatically. All right, so no problems there. OK, so once we tuck in our loose straps, um, that should be us to, uh, good to go. John Ayala and Nuria Pascual were in a group of four Spanish tourists about to get on board. Yeah, we're going to get on that ship, big ship, and get to Christchurch. It's going to take a long time, like nine hours, I think. Nine-hour trip, do you get seasick? No. Does anyone get seasick? <laughs> yeah. But I have my pills with me. But you can tell why, 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 why you have I voted for the whale watching, but yeah. I couldn't go, so I hope now it's the time to use it. Maybe no. now we can watch some whale. On the way out. <laughs> I hope. Warships from Australia, Canada and the United States arrived in Kaikoura on Thursday to help. After all the worries about the efficiency of the evacuation processes, it was all but complete by Wednesday night. The military evacuation of hundreds of tourists and locals from Kaikoura is over. The operation began... Meantime, the Prime Minister John Key had flown in and spoken with business owners in the Craypot Cafe and Bar on Kaikoura's main shopping street. Hi, how are you going? Hi, how are you going? 
Aussie oh, towns are all the other way. That's stuck there. How are you guys going? Yeah, you're all okay. So you're all local businesses. Look, obviously your income's going to be down a bit, but if we are helping pay the wages and we can get people in here and you can get some of the tourists back, not not all of them because there'll be some reduction, then we can maybe get you through the, the worst of it and get you out the other side. As the Minister for Tourism as well, John Key had some ideas about using social media to counter the quake putting tourists off. As soon as you guys can get up and running on the main things you do, we should just just do some little promotional video I don't know, someone high profile on a boat, someone that, that they but know. Yeah, well, I could do that. Yeah, so <laughs> that was the one I was thinking of, but we're fine. So, yeah, otherwise, yeah. you have Richie McCoy here on Monday, we can put him in a boat. But, yeah, the point is, we can. Yeah, easier somewhere, yeah. So, the point is, we're just, just something that can show people we're out there doing it again. Because once they see it online, it's, the social media these days is pretty amazing. Yeah, if you just get out there. The only shop open on the street had been a dairy that sold out of bread and frozen bread by Monday night. It was even quieter as we walked along West End on Tuesday evening, as I told Checkpoint that night. I'm outside the Foursquare, which is taped off with police emergency tape. There's newspapers from Sunday still on the rack in there, which obviously haven't been moved. The closed sign's up. And also here in Kaikoura, as I'm sure anyone who's been here will know, it's full of souvenir shops. Mm. And another real sign of the damage that's been done here and the shake that's been felt in so many ways is the power earrings that have been knocked over. It's the power necklaces. It's the key rings. It's the manuka honey, which is jolted off its shelf in here. It's the cheese shop, which is closed and has a cracked marble floor these days. It's a real picture of a small town that's going to take a long time to rebuild. Many in the town are worried about their jobs. Kim Shepherd works in a tourism shop on the main street, while Michael Beckinsale is employed at a firm which exports live power to China. I work in the power industry, and I just cannot see that surviving through this. I heard from the employer that said, don't panic, you know, we're still getting paid, and, you know, don't get worried. So, What do you expect to happen, like, over the next few months for, for you? Oh, well, we specialise in exporting live power, so there'd be none of that for for ages, I imagine. So there'd just be no work, I'd imagine. Is there other work? Not much in Kaikoura. Kaikoura's always a hard town for work anyway. So what do you do? I don't know. We do this. We'd be laying in bed this morning thinking about that. What are we going to do? Because <laughs> <laughs> Kim will probably lose her job as well. Well, you know, and tourism's not flash. No buses, no people staying in Kaikoura. No clothing getting sold. That's quite big. And five months of the year, that's their time to make the money. Power co-director Jeff Pacey is in the same boat as loggers, dairy farmers, the whale watch and other tourist operators. They need State Highway 1 to open and not just a single precarious lane through to Culverdon. We have a live holding tank down on the wharf. Um, the the building is, has been badly beaten up, so no power, can't run pumps, powers die without water and oxygen. So, um, yeah, what can we do? Nothing. And will you simply just have to stop your divers getting them? Absolutely, yeah. How many divers? Um, Powerco have, in this area, probably about 15 quota owners with, with quota, maybe 60 or 70 tonne. So they've got to hold on to their fish until everything comes right and, and then um, we'll try and sell it somewhere else. And I think you showed me a video before, uh, Jeff, with uh, one of your divers showing uh, the power up on rocks. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Yeah. So with the with the the large tides and with the earthquake and people talking about the seabed moving upward, 
Um, it looks like there's been hundreds of thousands of powers stranded. Hamish Bruce's Rotary Milking Shed is one of at least two among the district's 22 dairy farms that is wrecked. He won't dry his cows off if he can help it, but instead is milking them at a neighbour's. But all the milk is being dumped. Fonterra representatives have visited the farms, but the time frame is uncertain. The Hales farm at Hapuku, seven kilometres north of town, has a generator. Rosalie Hales was in the supermarket parking lot, stocking up, when we dashed in on Tuesday. Well, it can run the house, yes, but it doesn't at this point, so we're just living off a barbecue and what have you. But that's fun, but the shed is the most um, you know, important thing. 300 cows, which isn't a lot, we'll be tipping their milk out. Um, and that's another issue for ECAN, because they don't like farmers to be you know, tipping milk out. We've got to be able to dispose of it, so how do you dispose of it? Our three-person RNZ team was choppered out early on Wednesday evening. Kaikoura dropped away behind us, sitting uncertain and surrounded by geological change on a drastic scale. With the evacuation over and the town's lifeblood of tourists gone, the people in Kaikoura, Mount Lyford, Waiau and further afield now face a Herculean task. Jenny Yeoman at Mount Lyford Lodge is shaken, but she's not leaving. On Monday, within 13 hours of the quake and amid the sickening aftershocks, she was vowing to make a go of the business she bought just five months ago. I'm retired and I've learned to pull a beer and make good coffee. So, yeah, so that, that was my dream, you know, having an adventure running a business with my sister and her husband. And you're going to be able to make it through? Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to be open again and, and it still stands. We'll be on the road. Don't ask me when, but we'll keep going. I'm Phil Pennington. And I'm Tim Graham, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this program, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Phil Pennington and Tim Graham wrote and presented that program. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. For more information, head to our webpage or subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.